Hello, simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about letting go season. Mm. We're going to answer a bunch of your surprise questions. But first, let's start with some more about less. I want to argue with you, Ryan. All right, let's do it. (laughs) I got an article here. No, you don't. This one's from Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Fine, I don't. (laughs) This freaking thing sucks. <laughs> I'll do it live. I'll write it myself. <laughs> Ryan, this article is from Charlie Brown, the writer, not the cartoon character. <laughs> it's called These 17 Rules for Simple Living Are the Best I've Ever Seen, written by minimalists much smarter than me. Hey. And... Um, I won't read all of them, but we'll put a link to the article in the show notes, or at least podcast Sean will. We all know that there's only 12 rules. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> we have 16. <laughs> <laughs> Which you can download for free, theminimalists.com slash rulebook. That's right. Um, but the, what I like about this, I want to talk about some of these. Are they helpful? Or are they harmful? Do they actually get in the way? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's just go through these one by one. Let's do it. You know, when you read something that makes you say, hell yeah, every couple minutes, that's what happened to me when I got an email from Joshua Becker, Becoming Minimalist. It said it was the hundred things I'd I'd say to my 18 year old self. So we actually covered that on the private podcast already, right? She goes on to list some of the ones uh, listed there. And then also, I think some from us and other minimalists as well. So I think... That was a springboard. So these are rules we didn't talk about on that episode of the private podcast with Joshua Becker. Okay. But um, I wanted to go over some of them with you. So um, there are no Joneses. We covered that one, but probably worth talking about. Um, She says, shortly followed by the opinions of others cost you money. So learn not to care to save a fortune. So... As soon as we care about other people's opinions, their approval, their validation, mm-hmm. quite often there's a price tag attached to that. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, especially think about our corporate days in our 20s in particular. Oh, yeah. There were a lot of price tags. Yes. The suit you wore, the tie you had, the shoes you had, the car you drove. Yeah, man. Man, it's crazy to think about like a Brooks Brothers suit, shirt, tie, Alan Edmund shoes. That's like almost a thousand bucks, man. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, yeah. It, and then you get into, well, actually it's probably more than that, right? Might be. If you were in a suit, yeah. Brooks Brothers suit is what? A thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, the shoes you're talking about are three or 400 bucks. Mm-hmm. A Brooks Brothers shirts, 120. Yeah. A tie is a hundred bucks. Yeah. So over a thousand bucks. Yeah. To yeah. what? And there's nothing wrong with wearing a suit or a no, tie. There's nothing not wrong with a, a Brooks Brothers shirt. My problem was I own 70 of them. Right. Now, why did I own 70? Now, we were talking about this on the minimal episode. There are three reasons that we cling to things. Mm-hmm. Now, I was that control was a big one for me. And so sure. looking neat and tidy, whatever, that was part of the control. But the real reason is I felt like I lacked validation. Validation. And the more shirts you have, the more validation you get. I'm more valid. Yes. And without them, I'm what? Invalid. An invalid. Mm. And, and therefore... If I accumulate more, I will be more valid. More things equals more validation until you play that out and you have are filled. You fill the house till you're stage five order and exits are blocked and excrements and, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the noticeable smells. Yes, indeed. Um, she goes on to say, here's another rule for you. You don't need to buy the biggest house the bank says you can afford. Ooh, that's a great um, 
like a Ramsey tip. Yes. Yeah. And the reason I think this is so important is you might be able to afford a payment. What would Dave Ramsey say? He would say, if you can't afford a payment of a 15-year fixed rate mortgage, you can't afford the house. Right. But I would even go farther than that. Mm -hmm. Just because you can afford it doesn't mean you can afford it. Mm -hmm. You might be able to afford the monetary cost of a Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. But what about all the other costs that you, the psychological costs, the emotional costs, the repair costs, the cleaning costs, the fuel costs, et cetera. There are all these additional costs that we don't even stop to talk about mm. because, oh, yeah, yeah the, that house costs $500,000. That must be the cost of it. But also, what about the cost of filling the space? Yeah. I'm, I'm finding this out right now. Bex and I, we just bought a house mm-hmm. and um, it's we couldn't afford it that same house here in, let's say, this neighborhood. This is where I wanted to buy a house if yeah. we were going to buy a house. Yeah. Instead, we bought one about two hours from here, hour mm. and a half, two hours from here, mm. depending on traffic. And we could afford the house in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But also, can I afford the space? Is there too much space here? Is there not enough space? Yeah. Um, because then there are additional costs. So like if I buy a house, imagine if I bought a loft zero bedroom house for me, Bex and Ella, mm-hmm. to me personally, that wouldn't be enough space. So there would be the psychological or the emotional costs mm-hmm. of that. So finding the appropriate amount of space, yes, there's a financial cost involved, but also like, what am I, how do I live my life? Yeah. I don't want to cram a life into a giant house that's oversized. Yeah. How big of a life can I afford? That I can cram into, that I could cram something into. Yes, yeah. yeah that, that's often the philosophy. Yes, uh, the more stuff, the bigger the life. It must be better. Mm-hmm. Of course, that is a scarcity mindset. It doesn't approach the world from the natural state of abundance. But right. if we look at buying a house or a car, or whatever, I'm already, I already have abundance. These mm-hmm. things are tools. They're vehicles mm-hmm. uh, to live in, to drive in, to wear to eat, whatever the thing is, it's a tool for me. Mm-hmm. Then I don't cling to it, right? Right. We don't. A carpenter doesn't cling to a hammer. They hold on to it. They hold on to it tightly mm-hmm. until they need to stop using it. Then they set it down, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking just recently, um, one of the things that really um, was a great selling point for the house that we bought were the neighbors on both sides. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we I went and met them beforehand. Oh, cool. And it was really fascinating. The neighbors on the left side of us are very, like, left politically, right? Yes. Ironically. And the ones on the right are more right politically. Mm-hmm. But they're amazing people. And Bex and I are in the center, both mm-hmm. literally and figuratively here. And and what was really fascinating about them, so the people on the left side of us, they had the sign on their porch that says, Simplify for Peace. Oh. Oh. That's great. And that that so resonated with me because... I already knew like, oh, these people have a similar sort of value system as me. They're going to share similar, if not all the same values, certainly similar yeah, values. Yeah. And then I found found out the guy was a former teacher at a, a non-traditional school that uh, really aligned with my values. And all of a sudden now I, I see this person differently and the people on, on the other side. As soon as I met them, they were kind and warm and friendly. And that's all wonderful. But imagine if my neighbors were the exact opposite on both sides. Mm-hmm. The cost of that is pretty high, the emotional cost. But now, because I have these great neighbors on both sides, 
uh, let's say I need to borrow a ladder or a saw or something. I don't have to buy it myself. Mm. I go next door and I'm like, hey, Bill, can I borrow? It's actually his name, Bill. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Danny laughed. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm like, hey, can I, bar- can I borrow this thing? Because we have built a bond. And so you're actually, in a weird way, saving money by being part of a community that is loving. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to a few more of these rules here. Maybe let's let's uh, find one we can disagree about. Okay. You won't remember the things you bought at 18, but you will remember the trip you took with your friend who later died of cancer. Well, that's hyper-specific. Yeah. Yes. I agree with that. I don't agree with that. Do you agree or disagree, Josh? Let's start there. <laughs> you tell me. I mean, that that seems to make sense. I mean, you'll. I often remember of the course. things I bought at eighteen because, yeah. damn, I wish I wouldn't have bought that. Yeah, I'll never forget. Man, the first thing I ever bought on credit was a bowl of a watch, and I a got a bowl it. of watches. Yes, a bowl of watches. <laughs> My dad was telling me like the only way to build credit was you go to not not the only way, but one of the best ways. You go to a jewelry store and you get. A, a very specific jeweler credit card. Mm-hmm. So they give you like a $500 limit on this very, spe- an Osterman. Yeah. Rogers. Yeah. You can only spend it at Osterman's or Rogers or wherever it is. Yeah. Um, and then uh, they gave it to me. You have to put 20% down and then you make, and then you make, you know, your 15 or however much the payments are over the next, however long to pay off the rest of the watch. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Oh, okay, I can do that. So I went and got a watch on credit but I clearly could not afford because I was making payments on it. Um, but I remember that very specific because I like hindsight. I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, well, you know, you don't know what you don't know anyway. Uh, but I also understand. Yes. If you have a friend who has an illness, terminal cancer, for example, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, if I had to pick, if you had to pick between the two, uh, the obvious choice is there. Yeah, And the one that has the most meaning, you know, certainly I think you and I would agree on which of those experiences would have the most meaning. Yes. Getting your first watch. (laughs) (laughs) Bling, bling, baby. (laughs) I love on Instagram, I have the picture of you. What is it with the hat on when we were on tour? Oh, yeah. 2014. What does it say? Dollar, dollar bill, y'all? Something like that. Something like that. It was like rhinestones. Cash money. That's what it says. Cash money. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because like my contacts which now because you know um you get a notification on the iphone update contact so now it doesn't have this anymore but i used to have a dollar sign next to your name yeah josh money josh money (laughs) (laughs) you you know ryan the i I think here's where i I can i'm just looking for a place to disagree with this because fundamentally i think it makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. but also we want to be careful not to turn our experience chasing into experience consumerism, yeah, right? Right. Because it becomes the same thing. Instead of putting the thousand dollar, two thousand dollar, I had a three thousand dollar watch at one point. Mm. It was a tag hewer, I think it's called. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was. I mean, valid for sure. Ballin. Yeah. I mean, people loved me more. Yep. <laughs> I liked you certainly better when you had that three thousand dollar watch that I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, like. Okay, let's say you put a $3,000 watch on credit and you pay it off over 24 months. Crazy, right? Yeah. But you could do the same thing with a experience. Oh, well, this is better. No, no, no. You're doing the same thing. If you can't afford it, you can't afford it. Right. Yeah. You can have experiences. You can experience life Mm -hmm. without a financial 
cost. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, why are you trying to do either one of these things? Whether it's buying the watch or going on the trip, you want to be happy. Yeah. And happiness is the default setting. Mm -hmm. And so that watch isn't going to make you happy. The trip isn't going to make you happy. Mm -hmm. Either one of those can augment your life and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But if you're clinging to those... Oh, this is going to bring me happiness. No, no, no. It's going to bring you the opposite of happiness. Yeah. It's going to bring you some discontent, some misery, and some credit card bills. They're going to lead to more misery down the road. Mm-hmm. Next rule here is it's okay to have a lot of kids and not a lot of stuff. The average child owns 7,000 pounds worth of toys, like, like dollar pounds, not uh, oh, okay. like physical pounds. Okay. Yeah, 7,000 UK dollars, yes, of toys, yet only plays with about three hundred and thirty dollars worth of those toys, and so wow, and that's a UK stat. Yeah, think about that for a second. So, uh, this is one thing I was talking to Ella about this just yesterday. We were driving in the car, and she likes this new song. I wrote it down. It's by this band or group called AJR. Don't throw out my Legos. Do you know this song, Ryan? No, dude. Sean, let's play, you know, this is the the private podcast, so we can get away with uh, copywritten materials. Let's play some uh, Don't Throw Out My Legos. Unless you're watching the video version, you'll just have to, you'll have to, well, we'll put a link to right here, Jordan, right here. They can click on the video for Don't Throw Out My Legos, and we'll talk about some of the lessons from it. So that last line there, leave my Legos alone because I want to move out, but I don't want to move on. Yeah, man. And even Ella, who's nine years old, she was talking about holding on to things. It doesn't make sense to hold on to things Mm -hmm. that you don't, that you don't play with anymore. You don't enjoy anymore. Right. And so not wanting to, there's like this maturity. Obviously the song is about someone who's finally moving out on their own, but they're clinging to the past. Yes. Holding on, hold on to my Legos, please. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if we hold on to that thing, maybe the things won't, change. I won't have to grow up. I won't have to get old. I have the option to come back. I have the option to go back to being young. Yeah. Oh, man. I yeah. freaked Ella out this uh, weekend. I I, um, I told her that she would never be younger than she is right now again. <laughs> and I just saw her brain start to spiral, right? <laughs> because even us, like, as soon as you actually start to think about that, it's true. I yeah. mean, 
anyone listening to this is not going to be younger than they are right now again. Right. You were at one point, and yet we continue to cling to that younger version of ourselves. Oh, man. Yeah. Hmm. Let's move on to a few more of these rules here. Find one that we can disagree on. Come on, man. The patrons, they want they want drama. <laughs> they want they want tension. <laughs> Retail therapy doesn't work. Bullshit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't work well. I'll say that it does not work well. I mean, drugs work. <laughs> it's just not a very good solution to your problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And in fact, uh, quite often the solutions are the problem, right? Yes. So retail therapy is a solution. And you're just, yeah, you're just creating another problem, though. Yeah. A much yeah. bigger problem, right? Yes. It's like, I'm going to buy it quite often. I think about the container store. I know we rag on the container store. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, in fact, I think we own three bins here from the container store, right? Oh, my God. We're such hypocrites. <laughs> the, the problem, though, is like if I buy all the bins and do all the organizing, then I will be this type of person. Bins that can fit bins in them. <laughs> Patent pending. <laughs> well, here's one. We might. Oh, do we disagree? Marry someone. Who's no. on the same page as you? <laughs> I think we both agree on disagreeing with that. <laughs> you know, it, it depends. I, I, if I were to append this, so yeah, I, I would say it's helpful to have a significant other who has your same values. Mm-hmm. And if you live in a house with someone, it's also pretty helpful to have similar preferences as them. Yes. Because let's say like you marry someone and they are like, they want to have real fun, colorful paint and, and furniture and all these things. And you want monochrome, everything. Yes. There's going to be some tension there. Now for some people, it's a minor tension, not a big deal. Mm -hmm. I'll just default to you. But if both of you have strong preferences in that area, Mm -hmm. those preferences will clash. Ryan and I, we have similar values, so we are on, if we're not, but we're not always on the same page. So maybe the way I would look at it is we're in, we're in the same book. Yeah. Occasionally we're on different pages. Yes. Occasionally we're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> we're always reading from the same book though. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's called Love People Use Things. <laughs> because the opposite never works. Let's find one or two more here. The bigger the wedding does not mean the better the wedding. Oh, I got a friend who just a... Man, I don't know. I'm not going to name his name, and he's not a patron. Um, so him and his fiance uh, are kind of having a problem with their wedding, mm-hmm. and his fiance was like threatening to call off the wedding because he couldn't afford the wedding. And I'm like, buddy, I tried to like in a very because he asked me for advice, like you know, what do you think? And I asked him, I asked him like, hey man, what do you think marriage is about? Well, you know, about finding your life partner. I'm like, yeah. You know, working together, I'm like, uh-huh. I was like, how do you work together with her on this? That's the question. Mm. And so um, I just left it alone. I didn't like, you know, I didn't make any judgments. I just like asked him questions and helped him discover his own answers. But then he sent me a text the other day. He was like, good news. I just got approved for a loan for the wedding. Oh, I'm like, no. I know. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, well, I was like, whatever you think's best, man. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you not to do it. Right. And he's, he's not looking for a judgment from me. He's looking for some reflections. And um, yeah, he is. I've given him all the reflection I can. He makes his own decisions, you know. He's 
looking for validation. Podcast Sean is saying something it, here. It yeah. sounds to me like a giant red flag, but yes. oh, dude, oh my gosh, oh bro, yeah. I mean, oh, that's just, not the first dude. dude she, there was an oh man. When you're so oh, deep in it, though, yeah. you don't see it, right? You love yep. someone, or you're so infatuated with someone. Yeah, it's years down the road, right? Because that stuff just keeps building up. Yeah, well, yeah, and if it's not if it's not this, it's another. Yeah. No. Yeah, and so to me, I as soon as you said that, like I saw it as an exit ramp. Like, oh wow, this is the perfect sign to yes. exit here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I'm, there there's a validation thing though, man. Yeah. I, I'm I'm constantly looking for an exit ramp in my marriage. <laughs> yeah, I think no, I mean it in, in a way that's a very healthy way to look at it. Bex and I, once a month, we will Roughly once a month, we will sit down and just, hey, do we still want to be in this? <laughs> Break up and then get back together? Uh, essentially, yes. It's just for the makeup sex, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> she loves when I wear makeup. <laughs> oh, shoot, man. Yeah, but there's a validation piece of this that like, you know, there is, he, he's looking at himself from the outside and I don't know who that person is that he's putting his self, you know, whose shoes he's putting himself in. But he's looking from the outside and he's saying, like, what makes a good husband? Well, here's what makes a good husband. What makes a good fiance? Well, here's what makes a good fiance. There's something that he, that he is validating from this, you know, external source. Again, I don't know what that is. But, yeah, it's unfortunate. That, that just goes back to what you are saying in the minimal episode about one of the reasons we cling to things is because of we need the validation. Mm-hmm. We need to feel significant. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Yeah, man. I, there's again, and in that situation, like, um, you know, because people ask us again in the minimal episode, how do I change someone? How do I, you know, how do I get them to understand this? And it's like sometimes, in this situation I'm talking about, like, there's nothing I could if if even if I did say, hey man, you're making a mistake. This person is clearly showing you their true colors. If you think this is the first time they're going to threaten you with with leaving you. That you're mistaken. Yeah. And oh, by the way, now you're going into debt to be with this person that is threatening to leave you if you, if they don't if you don't provide for them a certain aesthetic that they want for the wedding. Even if I told him that, I mean, do you think he would listen? No, that's the problem with not knowing your boundaries and not knowing your values. This this right. friend that you're talking about, we'll call him Josiah. Yes. Well, you got to change his name though. <laughs> <laughs> What what happens here is we, when we don't understand our values, mm-hmm. it's like being in a, a, a if you take a balloon mm-hmm. and you just let the air out, it bounces from here to here to here to here. You get dragged by everyone else's opinion, by their desires, yeah, by their wants, by their supposed needs, mm-hmm. by their preferences. And that's what's happening right now. He's being dragged in this direction. And a second later, a month later, a year later, he's going to get dragged in this direction, right? Because you're not going to set up boundaries if you don't know what you actually value. What are your foundational values? Mm. What are your structural values? Mm -hmm. What are your surface values? And then what's getting in the way? What are those imaginary values, right? And if you understand that, it's easy to say, well, no, I'm not going to take... No, I don't do debt. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were with this new house that we bought... Um, it required some crawl space work. We knew that beforehand. Um, and it was part of the thing and it was a few thousand bucks and they were Mm -hmm. like, but we offer financing. And I said, Oh, but we don't do debt. Mm -hmm. 
And that shuts the conversation down, right? Mm. Because you know what the boundary is. Yeah. I'm not willing to go into debt for this thing, for this wedding, for this car, for this suit, for this watch. Mm. I'm not willing to take on that burden just so that I can impress you, so that you can feel good about our circumstance, because I'm not going to make myself feel terrible and burden my future self just to give you a little bit of pleasure right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, you could TikTok that, Danny. Um, let's see what we got here. The bigger wedding. Oh, you are never going to make a scrapbook. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I mean, that's not... I, I Okay, I'll disagree with this one. Some people are going to make it. I'll agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's put them up. I agree with it because it's true. Josh, counterpoint. <laughs> <laughs> Mallory, get my scrapbooking materials. <laughs> I'm going to sit sit here and make a scrapbook in front of you. Oh, my goodness. That would make a good YouTube show, actually. Uh, my uh, uh, former partner, Colleen, mm -hmm. she has a show on, or she had a show on YouTube called Paper Cuts, and it was about scrapbooking. Dude, I know, it actually sounds like something I would be interested in. I mean, just because of the art of it. There is some... And Colleen specifically did some really cool stuff. Yeah, she's a collage artist. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, you can check her out. Uh, find her. We'll get her Instagram link and put it in the show notes there. Yeah, she makes some great collages. She makes some great collages. It's pretty cool. But here, here I, I both agree and disagree with this. If you're going to make scrapbooks, you probably have already started. If, that is uh, correct. If you're if you're just holding on to a bunch of, oh, just in case I'm going to scrapbook. Day. Yeah. yeah. Well, then you here. here's what you do then. You implement the seasonality rule. Yes. Have I used this these scraps in the last 90 days? Nope. All right. Well, I'm giving myself 90 days. Otherwise, we're getting rid of it. We just did this recently. Um, we were kicked out of the... There's a little storage closet we had downstairs with some extra equipment in it that mm -hmm. we use within the seasonality rule. Mm -hmm. But even then... When we were kicked out of there, we had to go find small off-site storage. Well, mm -hmm. Alabama did. She went and found it, and her and her husband dragged a few of our things that we're trying to sell in there. Mm -hmm. But that gives us a deadline. Hey, we're only going to use this for two months. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to donate it. We're going to, if it, if it doesn't sell, we'll donate it. We'll recycle it. Eventually, if it comes to it, we'll trash it. I don't think we have anything we're going to actually have to trash. No, no. But there'll be things that we may not be able to sell. And that's okay, but... Where it's not serving us anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to continue to pay the cost of off-site storage long-term. Mm -hmm. It's a great short-term solution. To me, it's the best use of storage Yes, is having a short-term deadline. Sure. I need this for a period of time, but it's not perpetuity. Right. 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 100%. Let's find one more here. Your dream should include something better than a really big house. Should. There we go. Yeah, there's one I can disagree with. Yeah. There ain't no shoulds. Yeah. And so uh, your dreams. Yeah, I don't not even a, a big. Dreams are fine mm -hmm. when they're organic, right? Mm -hmm. But like dream seeking mm -hmm. is another sort of consumerism. Like, oh, yeah. I'm just daydreaming about this, that, that. And it's like now I'm making up different desires. Yeah. What things should I want? There's nothing that you should want. You're already complete. If you do want something, you're naturally compelled by it. Great. But if not, you don't have to heap on more dreams. Right. But if you're compelled by something, it makes you feel alive. Then it's an inherent dream. You can call it that. Our friend TK Coleman, who's going to be joining us next week, by the way, hmm. he says, it's one of my favorite quotes from him. Dreams don't come true. Decisions do. Mm. And so understanding that you're, you might have some dreams. 
But if you have an actual decision to act because that thing is so compelling that you've put in front of you, it'll also make all those other, other distractions sort of fade mm. into, the, into the background. Mm. Instead of trying to find different ways to quit your distractions, if you found a thing that is so compelling, it'll drag you into your everyday and you're excited to get up in the morning and work on it. Mm-hmm. Now you're not distracted. Those distractions are meaningless to you. All right, we'll put a link to that article in the show notes. You can read all 17 of those from Charlie Brown. And I think uh, there was even one or two from yours truly, me and Ryan, the minimalists. I want to talk to you, Ryan, about letting go season. But before we do that, we just finished the American leg of the Love People Use Things Tour. And I wanted to do something special for our patrons because not all of our patrons have an opportunity to listen to all of the live events. Mm -hmm. The True Fans VIPs have access to all the live events. We release one of those per month. You can find them all right now, all the ones we've released so far at patreon.com slash The Minimalist and just click on the live events tab there and you can find not just the Love People Use Things Tour, but also previous tours that we've released events for. So a ton of events for our patrons. But in this Maximal episode on the private podcast, I wanted to give you a little sample of one of our live events. We just finished up in Minneapolis and I read something after you gave a talk about minimalism, about simplifying. You hurled um, about 1,400 stats at the crowd. Yes. And uh, they were all bludgeoned with stats. That's right. There was a big test afterwards. No one passed. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) you're all going to have to repeat the event next year. That's right. Well, uh, but then afterward, I, I do a reading and the reading actually, I, I read from a passage of Love People Use Things that takes place in Minneapolis. And so I wanted to give that to you as a gift today. We'll come back and answer some surprise questions. We'll also talk about letting go season. But here is a reading from our Love People Use Things event in Minneapolis. I first met Jason and Jennifer Kirkendall in the post-show hug line at one of the Minimalists live events. Side note, do you guys remember hugs? Oh, hugs were the best. This is our 10th tour in 12 years, and it's the first time we've been on tour, and I haven't been, well, we've been told we're not allowed to touch you tonight. But don't worry, save your ticket stub. We'll bring two hugs for you next time. Return the text. I first met Jason and Jennifer Kirkendall on the post-show hug line at one of the Minimalist Live events. They told me that when they married at age 24, they were both filled with hope for their future. Before they knew it, they were living the American dream. Four kids, two dogs, a cat, and a home just outside Minneapolis. Jason worked for a large insurance company. Jennifer was a stay-at-home mom. In time, however, their dreams slowly devolved into a nightmare. The house that, once, the house that was once their dream home no longer fit their ever-expanding lifestyle. So they found a bigger home in a distant suburb, taking on the burden of a larger 30-year mortgage and a longer commute. The expansion didn't stop at their home. To keep up with appearances, they bought new cars every few years and outfitted their walk-in closets with designer clothes. To alleviate their anxiety, they shopped at the Mall of America on the weekends. 
there was a section in the book that my, well, so I, there was this whole, like, page-long thing where I described the Mall of America, like, actually just described what it was like, what it's literally like in there, and my editor said that it seemed, um, it seemed unrealistic. <laughs> and I just told him, well, you've never been to the Mall of America. There's a roller coaster in there, which seems perfectly appropriate for a metaphor for consumerism. Anyway, return to text. They shopped at the Mall of America on the weekends. They ate too much junk food, watched too much junk TV, and distracted themselves with too much junk on the internet, exchanging a meaningful life for ephemera. And yet too much wasn't enough. Before they were 35, Jason and Jennifer were drowning in problems. Most serious were their money problems. Even with overtime pay, Jason's 50-hour work weeks no longer kept them afloat. So Jennifer sought a part-time job to keep the bill collectors at bay. Credit cards, car payments, college loans, private school tuition, house payments. But the money problems were only the top layer covering a labyrinth of deeper issues. Their sex life was non-existent. Their careers were unfulfilling. They hid purchases from one another. <laughs> Last night in Chicago, someone yelled out, it wasn't me. <laughs> they lied to each other about their spending. They ignored their creative desires. They took each other for granted. They grew petty and resentful. They were ashamed of who they'd become. A decade after their nuptials, they were anxious, overwhelmed, and stressed because they'd lost sight of their ideal vision. They'd squandered their most precious resources, time, energy, and attention on fruitless miscellanea. The exuberant, hopeful 24-year-olds who had exchanged vowels were so far in the rear view that they were completely out of view. Well, the only way to mask their discontent was to hop back on the hedonic treadmill spending money they didn't have to buy things they didn't need to impress people they didn't like. They worshipped at the altar of consumerism, and stuff had become their new god. Then, on Christmas morning in 2016, they discovered a fresh perspective. With the carpet under their Christmas tree still bare from the morning's unwrappings, Jennifer switched on Netflix like she had hundreds of times before and stumbled across a movie called Minimalism. Throughout the Matt Diavella-directed film about Ryan's and my journey, she found herself contrasting the simple lives on the screen with the heaps of wrapping paper, empty boxes, and untouched gifts strewn across her living room floor. Not even four hours had gone by, and her, her kids were already bored by half their new toys. And the obligatory gift that Jason had purchased for her 
with their credit card was back in its box, already tucked away in their closet, uninteresting and unused, just like most of the things they owned. Jennifer thought back to her college days. Her life was so simple then. When did everything get so complex? The Latin root of the word complex is complect, which means to interweave two or more things together. Jason and Jennifer had interwoven so many unnecessary possessions, distractions, and obligations into their daily lives that they were no longer able to distinguish the junk from the essentials. The opposite of complexity is simplicity. The word simple shares a Latin root with the word simplex, which means having only one part. So when we talk about simplifying, what we're really talking about is uncomplexing our lives, removing that which is no longer serving the complex structures we've created, because anything that's too complex gets tangled. Jennifer knew that if they were going to be happy again, if their family was going to reconnect with what was important, a change was critical. She knew they needed to simplify, but she was unsure where to start. So she turned to the online world. The internet exposed Jennifer to a plethora of people who had simplified their lives with minimalism. And then there's a whole section in here of the, all these different people she ran into. She sort of stumbled across all of these different minimalists. And you'll have to check the book out if you want to read that. By the way, we've got a great indie bookshop here who is selling autographed copies of the book. Although, you're not required to buy one. You can get one from your local library as well. Although, if you're going to support a local bookstore, I prefer that over you know, a one-click purchase that arrives in, on your doorstop with a bunch of packaging tomorrow. And so they're, they're here tonight, uh, the good folks from uh, Major and Quinn. Annie's out there with some books. Let's actually give them a round of applause. Yeah. Ryan and I go out of our way to support local independent shops whenever we can because they tend to be really passionate about uh, what they do. And, and clearly, indie bookshops are no exception to that. Anyway, there's this whole story about all these different minimalists in here. I'll skip past that real quick. Jennifer found dozens of inspiring stories like these scattered across the web. Although each of these people led considerably different lives. Married parents, childless singles, men and women, young and old, rich and poor. She noticed they all shared at least two things in common. First, they were living deliberate, meaningful lives. They were passionate and purpose-driven. And they seemed so much richer than any of the so-called rich people that she had encountered. Second... They all attributed their meaningful lives to this thing called minimalism. After falling down the rabbit hole, Jennifer was excited to clear the clutter. Jason, on the other hand, was skeptical. But the evidence was overwhelming. And deep down, he knew that they had to do something to get their life back on track. Fueled by the excitement and fear of letting go, they rented a giant dumpster and placed it next to their overstuffed house. We don't recommend this. 
During the New Year's weekend, they began chucking everything they hadn't used in the last year. Clothes, cosmetics, toys, books, CDs, electronics, utensils, plates, cups, mugs, tools, furniture, exercise equipment, pet accessories. We've turned our freaking dogs into hoarders. Even a ping pong table. Anything that wasn't bolted down was subject to dismissal. They let go aggressively. Within a week, their house felt different. The physical mess was dissipating. The visual clutter was reduced. The echo in their home was new. Was that the sound of simplicity? As January came to a close, Jason and Jennifer were nearly finished excising their home of its excess. Within a week, the dumpster would be gone, and years of unintentional hoarding would be removed from their lives forever. They were making significant progress. Their closets and basement and garage were organized. Their remaining furniture had a function. Their things were in order. They could breathe better. They laughed more. They were more agreeable. They worked together as a family. Everything they owned served a purpose, and everything else was out of the way. Their house felt like a home again. A rush of calm overtook them as they recognized that their priorities were finally at the forefront of their lives. Then, the unexpected. The day before its scheduled retrieval, their dumpster caught fire. <laughs> oh, wait for it. No one knows exactly how it happened, but while Jason and Jennifer were at work that Tuesday, something ignited the contents of the now overflowing dumpster, and by the time they returned home from work, their house had burned to the ground, including everything they wanted to keep. Fortunately, their kids had been at school during the conflagration, and all three pets had escaped through the doggy door at the back of the house. All right, here's the truth. I didn't put this in the book, but um, they never found the cat. Uh, but the dogs are fine, so it's okay, right? <laughs> You're horrible for clapping and laughing at that. <laughs> horrible. I'm just kidding. It's on a farm somewhere. <laughs> Return to text. <clears throat> but everything else was gone. Everything. Every thing. With tears in their eyes... Jason and Jennifer held their children and stared blankly at the smoldering rubble. How could this happen? After years of hard work, years of achieving, and years of accumulation, they had nothing to show for it. 
nothing. No thing. It was terrifying. It was depressing. It was it was freeing. The past month had been an exercise in letting go. And at this moment, they realized they were capable of letting go of anything. Any thing. Their kids were safe, their family was intact, and their relationship was actually considerably better than it was just a month ago. Their future was whatever they wanted to make it. For the first time in their adult lives, they weren't tethered to the lifestyle and possessions and expectations that had constrained them until now. They had uncomplected their weave. As their complexities went up in smoke, they were thrust into the simple life by way of a dumpster fire. What a metaphor. Can you imagine if someone, hey, uh, Jason, what's been going on lately? Oh, you wouldn't believe it, just total freaking dumpster fire. <laughs> a month before, Jason and Jennifer would have been devastated by this setback, but with their new perspective, they didn't see it as a setback. It was an inconvenient push forward. Now, with everything out of the way, their only question was, what are we going to do with all this newfound freedom? Ryan, let's talk about letting go season. Mm. It's a term that I recently coined. I was thinking, you and I started letting go right around age 30, letting go of the excess. Mm -hmm. A lot of the people who come to our events, not all of them, but certainly a, a, a large chunk, a plurality, are in their 30s and 40s. Sure. It's sort of these, the summertime of life, late summer, early fall of life. Mm. And since it is the beginning of summer right now, you know, June is next week. Mm. And so I'm thinking about looking forward to, to letting go. People start during the season of life in mm -hmm. summer and fall, People start assessing. And so literally, I was thinking, how do, how do we take that metaphor and look at our, our current lives? Because mm -hmm. quite often, beginning of the year, New Year's resolutions, mm -hmm. let's start letting go. And mm -hmm. then springtime, spring cleaning, mm -hmm. time to let go. But it doesn't have to stop there. Mm -hmm. When we reach the summer, it's a new season, and it's often marked by, well, if you have kids, they're off school for a while. There's a lot more activities going on and we forget about the distractions that we have and then we forget to let go and sometimes the things start to pile up. Mm. And so it's a great time for us to start letting go. And I have this great comment from one of our Patreon supporters. His name is Brian. I figured I would read this to you because he had a great idea as a follow-up to our Monday minimalism. Brian Walker said, I have an idea for Monday minimalism. It's a game I came up with called 10 Minutes, 10 Things. To play, you have to get rid of 10 things or you have to spend 10 minutes decluttering somehow. I play this game regularly in my classroom where clutter seems to just magically appear on a regular basis. I teach art in an elementary school. Yeah, I can imagine the clutter in an art room. Yeah. 
Maybe one day I'll look through a, the supply bins at each table in my classroom and get rid of 10 stubby pencils that are too small for my students to hold on to. Maybe another day I'll get rid of 10 old watercolor paintbrushes that are losing their bristles. On yet another day, maybe I'll return 10 completed art projects to some of my students so they can take it home. If I can't immediately find 10 if I can't find immediately find 10 things to get rid of, then I'll devote 10 minutes to something to some other form of decluttering. Maybe I'll finally carry that box of stuff for goodwill out to my car. About 10 minute walk to my car and then back to my classroom. <laughs> I once had an old table designed for rolling out lumps of clay into flat slabs that I never used. So I spent about 10 minutes composing an email to some other art teachers who might be interested in taking it off my hands. As you might guess, when I do play this game, I often get rid of much more than 10 things. But the 10 item minimum is a good place to start. It's genius, man. I think it's great. And this is something I'm going to try with my daughter mm -hmm. because quite often she wants to bring something new in and mm -hmm. she knows that she doesn't want to hold on to certain things, but just doesn't think about letting go uh, of them. And so, hey, Ella, you've got 10 minutes to find 10 things to get rid of so we can bring in these new things. Understanding the benefits is not just bah humbug, you have to let go, mm -hmm. right? It's, hey, let's find some things that other kids can get value from. Mm. You got 10 minutes. Ready? I'll set a timer. Ready, set, go. And turn it into a game for her because guaranteed she'll find 10 things that she no longer wants to hold on to. Mm -hmm. But of course, we adults have our own toys. We have our own things that we cling to. And so if we just spent 10 minutes today, anyone listening to this, if you spent 10 minutes tonight decluttering, my guess is you're going to get get rid of way more than 10 things. Yeah. This is just another way to approach letting go. Mm -hmm. Identifying 10 things. It's a bit more aggressive than the minimalism game because the minimalism game starts with one thing. Mm -hmm. And so if you can't even think of 10 things, yeah, find one thing, use the minimalism game. But Brian, I I love this as as a new game. 10 things, 10 minutes. Uh, 10 minutes, 10 things. I also, it makes me think of, in our minimalist rule book, Ryan, we have the 10-10 material possessions theory. Mm. And it, it's a take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle. On one side, write down your 10 most expensive purchases of the last decade. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, write down your 10 most memorable experiences of the last decade. Mm -hmm. Chances are zero things overlap. Right. Or maybe one or two things do. Sure. But most of the things we spend lavishly on, they don't actually enhance our lives the way that we think they're going to. Allison had a great comment here from our Overcoming Distractions with Minimalism episode on Patreon. Allison said, wow, did this episode speak to me? First, I disagree with calling motherhood slash parenting a job, but be being a parent is a relationship between parents and a child. Here, here's what I'll say to that. It's fine to disagree with it. Don't get bogged down in definitions here. Yeah, yeah, yes, I agree. I mean, let's talk about the essence here. Like When we say a job, we don't mean literally a, a job, right. but the essence is working. Some, sometimes this requires that you do things that you may not want to do. Mm. A job does that. Parenting does that. The essence of what we're saying is the same. And that's where we uh, agree, Allison. So mm -hmm. let's not, because when we get so tight, yes, words have meaning, right? But we get so tied up in the meaning, we all, we can often lose the plot. My daughter does this all the time. And when I will 
talk about something metaphorically and she mm. takes it literally. Mm. Surprisingly, her mom does this as well. <laughs> and w- when she doesn't understand something as a joke or something is is a metaphor, yeah. she'll want to correct me and say, well, no, it's not really that. It is this. Mm-hmm. And what I say is, Ella, listen to the essence of what I'm saying, mm-hmm. not the words that I'm saying. Yeah. W- what direction are these words pointing? It made me think about we were at a friend's house uh, who, and they at the time uh, had a little like three-year-old, like just just able to start to form sentences. And Mariah said something like, uh, uh, I forget what she had. She was putting something away. She's like, oh, I got to put these bad boys away. And the little girl was like, those aren't bad boys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it. And, and we, when we take it literally, that's yeah. what, what we do, right? Yeah. And really what we're talking about here is we're abutting the the limitations of language Mm -hmm. and some people will mean one thing when they say something Mm -hmm. and another person will mean something else when they say that same thing Mm -hmm. but try to listen to the essence of what we're saying and that way we don't get bogged down in these words like yes i don't think there are shoulds in this world but if someone says oh man i really should wash my car i'm not gonna be like there are no shoulds. Right, I, I know exactly. the essence of what you're saying, yes. right? The essence is, oh, my car is dirty and I would feel a little bit better if I cleaned it. Right. Okay, great. I don't think you're saying morally it's the right choice for me to yeah. clean my car. Oh, man, that is like one of the most frustrating things when I'm having it because I have like family members that will do this. I'll say something and, you know, because we're having a conversation and they just want to go with, what I said and what their interpretation of it was. And then they just hone on that one little piece of the conversation. Mm. It's like, how can we have a meaningful conversation if we can't get past, you know, the essence of what I'm saying? Like yes. if we can't get to the essence, then it's, there's no point in having a conversation. That's right. Yeah. I, uh, I often teach this in my writing class when we're talking about using words because words create precision. Oh, by the way, I got a writing workshop coming up. I think it's this weekend. Um, just, just in a few days, how to write better.org. If you're interested, if there are still seats left, it's just a one day sort of thing. But I I talk about finding the right words, not for the sake of using the big words to sound impressive or smart, but for precision. Because if you do use the words in a way that point to the essence better. So like, uh, instead of saying those shoes are very, or the blood was very red, you might say it was crimson, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it was the sky wasn't very blue. It was cerulean, right? Mm-hmm. And, and if you use the 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 vocabulary that, that adds precision, it does not to make you sound smart or puff yourself up, mm-hmm. but so we know what we're talking about. So that is really where I agree with Allison here. Yes, when when Ryan and I are speaking for several hours, you might say something off the cuff where we don't mean like, yes, it is literally a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, that'd be terrible if you just clocked in and clocked out as a parent. Yeah. It's a 24-7 job. Right. But I understand what, what she's saying here. Yeah. Uh, she goes on to say, if any parent is waiting for an applause, recognition or award, then maybe being a parent is not for you. Mm, I agree with that. Totally. Yeah. Your award is that you get to be the this child's parent for life. Uh, and second, TV is most definitely a distraction for me. So that's Mm. what we're talking about, the distractions with minimalism episode. Through some intense therapy, I'm I'm learning that my TV watching has become a way for me to check out of my grief, a way to escape it. Because Mm. I am checking out of my grief, I have now moved on to having complicated grief and being stuck in my grief. I have not fully processed my feelings, thoughts, or fears. 
and all because of my television. Mm. When I started seeing a new psychiatrist for my depression meds and told her about my having complicated grief, she told me to turn off the TV. Mm. I'm slowly processing my grief. And while it is difficult, I'm also learning to move forward. Yeah. The thing about the grief is we do have to feel it. And that's the beautiful thing about joy or enlightenment or whatever you want to call it is it's possible to experience grief mm-hmm. and you can get to a point where grief isn't a bad thing because right. most people hear grief and they say bad. So let me hide the bad, mm-hmm. seek the good. What is good? Passive entertainment, television, right? Yeah. Also righteousness, so self-righteousness mm. through the TV. I feel like my life is so out of control and I have no control over it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so instead of focusing on the things that I can control, I'm going to focus on the things that are outside my control. What is going on overseas? What's going on in Portland? What's going on in New York City? What's going on on the news? All of these things are outside of my control. But what can I control? How much I complain? How much suffering that I increase in my body? Mm-hmm. How much stress I give myself from these things? And so we seek these uncontrollables because our controllables are actually hard to deal with. The, the grief is really difficult to work through. Yeah. And so we seek out these things that cover up the grief. Mm-hmm. But that just makes the grief worse. Yeah. I got one more thing from you. This was a DM, so I'm going to hide the person's name. We'll just call them M. I'm so grateful for your message. You guys are amazing. Your private podcast has changed my life in many ways. One of your podcasts literally saved my life. It was the podcast about hormones with Josh and his wife that helped me realize that some of my health issues were caused by hormonal problems. Mm. After asking my doctor to check my hormones, she discovered I had a benign brain tumor. Although it's not causing any major issues at the time, it is pressing on my pituitary gland and my left eye. If it wasn't for your podcast, I would not have found out about it until it started causing major problems. Mm. And so, wow, four out of five doctors agree that our podcast saves lives, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. You know, yeah, man, uh, being in the hug line, I hear that. Uh, I hear that a lot about tumors. Yes, about tumors. About, no, just how people are like, man, you don't even know it, but you saved my life. And um, yeah, that's it's just incredible. It blows my mind that like, it blows my mind that even one person could feel that way, let alone multiple people. And we never planned it because I think, right. or if we did plan it, we planned it in a way where it's like you throw a stone into the water. Mm-hmm. You don't know where the ripples are going to go. You don't know how they're going to form. You don't mm-hmm. know what they're going to look like. This is a ripple. Yeah. I'm so grateful. Like it was not our intention to save M's life here. No, but no. it happened. Yeah, right. No, I'm grateful too. Yeah, and I and it's like a responsibility that, um, yeah, I just I don't I don't take lightly. Not the responsibility to save people's lives, but the responsibility of having a microphone and speaking words into it responsibly. Yeah, yeah. Podcast Sean, do you hear this rattling here? What is going I on? Barely here. There's there's some humming coming out from outside air conditioning and it's oh. carrying through. Oh, it's carrying through up here. So it's not the light that's doing that. No, it's fine. We can keep recording. This is patrons are getting into the real behind the scenes. That's right. Here. Yeah. Not only do we save lives, but we stop humming. Someone answer that phone. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I I agree with you. I am I'm grateful for hearing these stories because mm. it. 
I know why I'm doing what we do, but it's a reminder mm. of why we do what we do. In a way, this is the type of validation. I wasn't seeking validation, mm. but it that's when the validation is most useful in a way. Oh, yeah, when you're not seeking it. Oh, yeah. If you're seeking validation, validation will never be enough. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah, because, well, well why is that? Because you will get validated, mm-hmm. but then you will need more. It's why, why fame is so appealing to a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. Especially people younger than us, because it's now possible to be famous yeah. on TikTok or wherever. And we mistake that validation, that approval right. for love. Mm. Oh, I got a thousand likes. I must get a thousand loves as well. Mm. Doesn't yeah. work that way. I'll tell you what, Ryan, we got some surprise questions here. We do. Today. Before, I, I, oh, go ahead. Go for it. Oh, well, we got something on here. You have a note on here. This is no worries versus my pleasure. Oh, I was going to talk about I'm that. I'm so curious about that. Yeah. So I was thinking about this. Because so, I say no worries all the time and I say my pleasure all the time. Yeah, I was just thinking there, there's sort of two ways to approach the world. Mm-hmm. So maybe this will this will be a good breakout for TikTok, Danny. Check this out. So there are two ways to approach the world. There's the one way where everything is sort of problematic. It's a it's trouble. It's worrisome, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And there's the other where life is a joy. And quite often I'll say thank you if I go across the street and I buy a coffee from someone, and they will either say no worries. And I'm like, well, I wasn't worried. Why, why would I be worried, right? Oh, that tells me something about the speaker. What are they worried about, right? And and I will even say that myself. No worries. Mm. But what does that say about me? Oh, I'm worried about. I'm approaching life in a worried, mm. scarcity mindset. Or if I say my pleasure, it was a joy for me to add value to your life in some way. Mm. Oh, it's my pleasure. And so now I seek to have that worldview because not only does it bring forth the joy that's already there, but it that joy can be contagious. Mm. Instead of saying no worries, I hope to get into a situation where I say, my pleasure. Interesting. It's my pleasure to add value to your life. That's interesting. You know, it's funny. I always took no worries as not on the speaker, but on the giver on the on the other side of it. Like, hey, thanks. Like, yeah, no worries. Like, you you need not worry, right? But there's I no wasn't wor- worried. There's no no worries here. There's no worries over there. Yeah, I yeah, I I do see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It's but I also get it where um yeah, man. Like we live in a worrisome world. There's a lot of worries out there. People are worrying all the time especially here in LA. Mm-hmm. So when someone says no worries, it's like they're, they're giving you permission. Uh, yeah. What, but yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. I, interesting. I like let's, it. Let's be all your uh, Chick-fil-A uh, training. <laughs> I don't know. Chick-fil-A what training. About. That's what they tell anytime the Chick-fil-A employees are instructed. Yeah. And anytime that a customer requests something of them, mm-hmm. they respond with my pleasure. My pleasure. What I'll tell you is it totally changes the dynamic because as soon as I hear no worries from someone, I'm like, was there something? How dare you think that I was worrying? No, it just makes (laughs) me think, well, was there something to worry about? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And because it's a renunciation, it's, it's a holding it at arm's length. Oh, no worries here. Let me hold out the worry Mm -hmm. as opposed to, ah, it's my pleasure. Mm. And it just, not only does it come from a place of joy within me, but I, I find that 
I actually do get joy and you get immense joy from serving other people. Mm-hmm. So when I can go into anything that's, but by the way, anything can be service. Sure. Being nice to a cashier at the grocery store is a micro service, mm-hmm. right? And so I'd rather go in and say my pleasure. It's my pleasure to help you to be here to whatever it is, because that pleasure, mm-hmm. that joy can be contagious. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I don't think that someone is actually worrying when they say no worries, but it tells me a lot about my own posture when I say no worries. Mm. Man, what am I worrying about so much yeah. that I'm focused on the worry instead of focused on the joy? You could sound really cool and say, my pleasure, my treasure. <laughs> <laughs> I think the kids are saying that these days. Tweet that podcast, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, the American uh, <laughs> what well, the, the American leg of the tour ended. You finished yes. our last tour, two tour stops with uh, uh, what you thought was a broken rib. You seem to be doing a little bit better oh, today. So better. Yeah, man, it's like it, it went from like ten out of ten pain to like the day that we left for tour to where it's like four out of ten now. That's man. Uh, so we I fit- didn't break it; I cracked it. But there was some there was some weird stuff going on because like every time I breathed in, it was like crack, 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 and then I'd breathe out crack 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 it doesn't crack anymore so it must have set mm-hmm. uh yeah i today when i got out of bed i could sit up without it hurting that's the worst like when you have ribs or like when i broke my back it's like the rolling over and sitting sitting up out of bed it's like someone's knifing you <laughs> like they're yeah. pushing you forward with a knife uh, oh anyway do you have any favorite moments from uh, the tour, the the, the year long tour, uh, the yeah. American leg? At least I guess this part wasn't a year long, but we still have two tour stops: one in uh, Vancouver, one in Toronto. So the tour is not officially over, but the American leg is. Did you have uh, one or two standouts for you? Some memorable moments. Oh man, I really liked uh, Lee DeWise open for us in a couple cities, which was incredible. Um, for those of you who don't know Lee DeWise, he was season four American Idol winner. Back when American Idol was cool. Um, but he's got some awesome albums out, uh, new music. Um, it, it was it was just it's crazy to me that people like him or Jay Nash or you know, any of these other musicians that opened Griffin House that open up for us, we have listened to, you know, their albums on repeat. And like now we're in a position where we're like, we could just like get a hold of these folks and see if they want to open for us it's unbelievable yeah it really is unbelievable man so there's been a lot of cool openers um what else uh i really liked the seth godin we yeah i mean we we talk about that episode a lot but that that episode with seth godin was pretty amazing and ian cron i really liked that uh i think that was the dallas event it was that was a really cool event too um my favorite events are when they are when there's a, a maximum amount of humor injected yes. into the event because you know as we do take ourselves seriously but we also don't take ourselves too seriously yeah and i really like how when you add the humor to it it just brings a little levity for those who look at this minimalism thing like it's so serious and so when someone brings out their friend or family member or coworker or whatever, like, hey, come and check out these minimalist guys, like they can see that like, oh, these guys aren't like religious about this. This is a, you know, there's some philosophy here, but they don't take themselves too seriously. And they're also not telling me what to do. Yeah, exactly. So Denver was like that. Dallas was like that. Um, Chicago, I feel like was like most. I mean, there's always some laughs. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there there's just like a few that really stand out to where there was it felt like 
there was a lot of laughter and our, um, you know, our cheeks were hurting when we left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny is people will come up to us after an event. They're like, you guys should be stand up comedians. And it's like, no, no, no. The reason this is funny because you didn't expect to come here laughing. Right. You thought it was going to be like the serious, stuffy sort of event. And then we come with jokes. Yeah. And because we have seven jokes peppered throughout, you know, whatever this is, right? Mm -hmm. It's probably 17 or 27, sure. whatever it is. Yeah. And then sometimes the jokes just come naturally, right? Like mm -hmm. the Columbus event when uh, when someone noticed me in the mall. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and they're like, hey, minimalist, what are you doing? I'm like, are you coming to our event? They're like, what event? Why, wait, why are you in the mall? <laughs> and, I, right. and I said, I said this on stage. I said, it felt like I was a politician at a glory hole. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like busted. Thankfully, we have no like corporate ownership. So uh, we can talk about whatever the heck we want to talk about. We can tell jokes like that. We have the freedom to do those things. Mm -hmm. I agree with you on some of the standout moments, right? Having some amazing musicians. Jay Nash mm -hmm. in Boston was magical. Uh, some of the guests, Lisa Lampanelli yeah. was outstanding oh, in Boston. Yes. Uh, Ken Yates, he's going to be the added value on next week's Minimal episode. He has a new album coming out. He just sent me uh, this morning. He sent me a private link. I'll share it with you because oh. the album's not out yet. Um, but uh, the album is called, I forget what it's called, but it's um, uh, the, it's amazing. I was listening to it all morning this morning. We were listening to, I think, three or four of the songs while we were on the last leg of the tour. Mm -hmm. He's going to be opening up for us, hopefully, in Toronto and Vancouver. He was originally scheduled. We had to move those dates, so he's trying to make it to those. But people who we really, really enjoy their music, having mm -hmm. them play, I mean, we had Matt Nathanson open up one of the Minimalist shows. Yeah, it's crazy. It was a surprise, too. Like, we don't announce these things beforehand, so the you know, the come on, get higher guys is playing the, his mm. you know, hit song. In fact, I introduced him. I said, uh, today's podcast guest, you know, from every time you've ever been in Whole Foods. Right. Because his music's always playing ubiquitously, it seems yeah. like. And in these areas, I'll tell you my favorite mo moment, though, is we were is when I really got uncomfortable. Mm. It was the very first tour stop. Uh, it was San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And this is our. We've done hundreds of tour stops, Ryan. Yeah. We've spoken in front of 15,000 people at once before. Mm -hmm. We've spoken in front of crowds, many thousands of people repeatedly. I tend not to get nervous on stage anymore. Mm -hmm. But San Antonio had been uh, nearly three years since we had given, or it was over two years mm -hmm. since we'd given a live talk. Yeah. And I felt nervous. Yeah, man. I had those nerves just, and I was like, oh my God, do, do we even want to do this? Mm. And that was that, oh, yeah, outside of my comfort zone, this is the place from which I grow, that discomfort zone. Mm. Not enough that it causes extreme suffering, extreme pain, but that little bit of discomfort, oh, that's the place in which some magic really happens. And uh, that first night, it wasn't even our best tour stop of the, of the tour. It was just me and you. We didn't have a, a special guest that night. And we did okay. It was, it was, uh, you can listen to the podcast. It was great. But I remember those nerves. They put me back in that place where it's like, oh yeah, you're actually doing something that matters. Yeah. And when you do something that matters, sometimes it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause like, uh, even with the podcast, like there's always this underlying anxiety of like, I want to communicate as clearly as possible. I know that people are listening to this or they're watching it because they want to get something out of it. 
And um, I put this like unnecessary pressure to be like, you give them as much as you can, Nicodemus. Yeah. They need to be inspired. Inspire them. Yeah. Damn it, inspire them. <laughs> well, that's the, the, the problem with that is, Alabama, I'll grab some more coffee too, if you don't mind. Um, I think the problem with that is the pithy answer I had on the minimal episode this week, the harder you try, the harder you fail. Exactly. I notice if I over-prepare for a podcast episode, mm-hmm. nine times out of 10, it goes off the rails. Mm. And it's because like, well, there are these 27 things that I wanted to talk about today, and I'm a failure because I only got to 21 of them. And so six of them I don't have. Mm-hmm. And so I failed, obviously. Mm. Whereas if you show up and you allow authenticity to to guide the way, I think about, go ahead. <laughs> Malibu, I was just swapping out all the drinks right yes, now. Because as a minimalist, you must have at least two drinks in front of you. All right. Anyway, uh, the if you just show up and things unravel authentically, mm-hmm. the questions lead the way then whatever comes up, comes up. That's my favorite part about some of these live events. In fact, we're going to, we just got some new studio equipment here so we can start taking live calls on the air because one of our favorite things from the live events, we get to actually interact back and forth with the people. It makes the question so much better. Remember Jess in, I think it was, uh, was it Minnesota? Yeah, Um, Minneapolis, yeah. Yeah, she, she was talking about how she had this toxic relationship with her roommates. Yeah. And she had created uh, some of the toxicity herself. And mm-hmm. she was being really vulnerable in admitting that. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And in that admitting it, we were, you were able to ask her some questions, Ryan. Yeah. About why she was feeling the way she did, why mm-hmm. she behaved the way she mm-hmm. did. And so, yes, not only were we answering her question, but we were getting to the questions behind her question. Yeah. And so the live events allow us to do that in a way that's really personal. We're in their personal space. They can see us, but even be able to do it on the phone, which we're going to start taking calls on the podcast. Thanks to our Patreon supporters for making that happen, mm-hmm. affording us the ability to, to buy new equipment so that we can we can call you and harass you. <laughs> And tell you jokes. It's just gonna, just gonna be me. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for that handsome man, Ryan Nicodemus. <laughs> Why do you play a fake piano? <laughs> right. Oh, that's funny. That's from his joke. home tour. Take um, too long. All right. Anyway, Ryan, uh, we were gonna check in with the live stream. We decided not to do a live stream this week because we have been redecorating our studio, doing mm-hmm. our best to make it look like Charlie Rose's show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just all black background right now. We're going to be iterating on this going forward. Ryan and I both have some ideas on how to incorporate elegant simplicity without going overboard. Thank you, patrons, for making this possible. Heck yeah. We'll get back to live streaming with you really soon. Looks like we got some surprise questions this week, Alabama. How about we start with one from Pamela? I am the repository for dead people's things. I have items from my parents and both sets of grandparents that hold such sentimental value to me, but they also clutter my home. I want to let go, but where's the best place to start? Is it with my own stuff or someone else's? Okay. It's funny because we talked about this on the minimal episode. Where do I start with my stuff or someone else's? And I was like... Who would just start throwing? I mean, it is, it, it's much easier to throw away other people's things for sure. But she's talking about other people's sentimental items. They're not, but she's also talking about how 
they're dead people, so they're not other people's things. They're mm, your things. Yeah, right. And here's what I'll tell you. You don't want to start with the difficult things because you don't have any momentum right now. And letting go, you want the little small victories up mm, front, right? Mm. And so I did it all wrong. When I first stumbled into simplifying, it wasn't my stuff. It was when my mom passed away. Right. And I was confronted with an entire house full of stuff. We were just moving last weekend and Ella was like, it took the movers three whole hours. And I said, Ella, when I dealt with just my mom's stuff, mm-hmm. it took me 12 whole days. Yeah, And part of that was, be- and she was, well, why did it take so long? Like, well, because she had so much stuff. And, and Ella, all she knows is, you know, the life she's had. She's like, why would people have so much stuff? Mm-hmm. And because having so much stuff, having a super abundance and overabundance is excess. Excess is not a default state. Excess is the place in which we suffer. Mm-hmm. Excess pain, excess cell growth causes cancer, mm-hmm. right? Uh, excess inflammation. Mm-hmm. These things are all... Well, they're harmful to us, but excess stuff causes a lot of pain in our lives Mm -hmm. as well. And so it's about starting with the simple things. That's why we invented the 30-day minimalism game. It's like, just get rid of one thing on day one. And on second day, two things. Mm -hmm. You just got to start somewhere. And I wouldn't start with the sentimental items. Mm. You can eventually get to the sentimental items, but how do you let go of them? Well, there's a few things you need to realize here, Pamela. These things are not other people's things. They are now your things. Amen. It is now your responsibility. Now, you don't have to get rid of any of them. Mm -hmm. You're at a point, though, where you have too many of these things. It's not that they all create clutter. It's too many things create clutter. And so, yes, you have too many things from dead people. And holding on to all of them is going to water down the sentimental value of those things. By keeping just a handful of my mom's items, I get far more value from those things than if I were to water them down with 300,000 excess items. Mm. And so the question that I ask myself is, what's going to add value to my life? What's going to serve a purpose or bring me joy? Maybe it's decorative, and so there's some sort of aesthetic joy that you get from it. Or maybe it's something I can actually use, and that thing still triggers the memories. Mm. Everything else I took photos of and eventually let go of them because I realized that I couldn't commingle mom's stuff with my stuff. It was just going to get in the way. I was just going to store it in a mausoleum of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to let go of the things that were dead to me so I could hold on to the things that would serve a purpose. Now, if they stop serving a purpose, I have no problem with letting go of those things because mm-hmm. the meaning, the value, the sentimentality is not in the thing. Ryan, if I gave you my mom's hat box mm-hmm. and said, here, hold on to this, it has a lot of sentimental value. Mm-hmm. The only appropriate response to that is to you. Mm-hmm. It has a sentimental val- value to you, but it doesn't have inherent sentimental value. Right. And so there's a, what's the Thomas Soul quote podcast, Sean? Without trade-offs? Oh, they're... Um, in life, yes, there are no solutions, only trade-offs. Right. And what we're talking about here is a trade-off, right? Because yes, they have sentimental value to you, but they also clutter your home. And so mm-hmm. you're willing right now to trade clutter, the chaos. You're willing to accept some of the chaos because you get some sort of value from them. Mm-hmm. What I would posit is perhaps you may get more value from having fewer sentimental items and simultaneously you'll be allowed 
giving yourself permission to let go of the clutter. Yeah. I mean, really what you're talking about is that question we tell people to ask all the time is how might your life be better with less? And Pamela, yes, it would be better because you wouldn't have as much clutter. You would have a little space freed up, not just physically, but also in your mind. Um, Yeah. And these, there's not an easy decision here, but getting to the why behind, like that's what's going to help her. uh, the, The path will unfold as soon as she gets clear on the why. The what will appear. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. And that's important. And if you're looking for a how-to, once you understand the why, mm-hmm. check out the 30-Day Minimalism Game, theminimalists.com slash game. You can download the free calendar there and you can make decluttering a bit more fun because right now it's burdensome. Mm-hmm. And as soon as something is burdensome, you don't, you just want to hide from it. The grief, the lamenting, the trauma that yeah. is associated with these things. Mm-hmm. By working through it, by letting go, you're also letting go of the trauma. You're going to feel more grief in the meantime, but suppressing that grief is only going to lead to more trauma later on. So make it a little more fun. Partner up with a friend, a family member. Try the 30-day minimalism game, theminimalists.com slash game. It's free to play. Mm -hmm. Share your pictures of your letting go using the men's game hashtag, hashtag, M-I-N-S game, men's game hashtag. All right. Katie has a question for us. Malabama. I actually fantasize about renting a dumpster to declutter, but the hardest thing for me is parting with my children's baby things. Why are baby blankets and favorite toys so hard to let go of? Mm. Oh, I got a little, uh, uh, I'm getting some empathy right now for them. I get it. It's like, I think about uh, my brothers and sisters when they were just tiny little infants. Oh, they used to be so cute. I don't know what happened to them all. <laughs> prison. Yeah, prison and other things. <laughs> other oh, recreational man. activities. And you know what? I want to hold on. To, I want to hold on to the to the feeling that um, that I had with my siblings when they were younger. I mean, I feel like I practically raised them in some ways. I, you know, for a brief stint of my time, I, I did raise them when I was uh, living at home and it's hard to let go of, of those little sentimental things because you want to hold on to those memories, to those feelings. You want to cherish those. I remember when I left, um, when I left Florida, I was living with my mom for like a year. Um, down in Tallahassee and I left to go back my senior year of high school to graduate uh, from Lebanon, Ohio, where you and I are from. And my brothers gave me this little, you're like, here, take this and remember me when you, when you go back to Ohio. And it was in that shoe box of, I talk sometimes about the box, shoe box of sentimental things I had mm-hmm. from uh, growing up and being in high school and stuff. And they were in there. And I remember coming across those, um, in the shoebox, uh, and I was like, "Man, this is so silly! Like, this isn't this car. Like, my bro- brother gave me a little race car, is what I remember specifically, and uh, it was his like his favorite one. And I'm like, this is this means a lot to him, which is great. And uh, in turn, it means a lot to me because he's showing me that he's giving up something of his. But in the same token, at that point, he was so much older, he could care less about that car. You know, it was mine to get rid of, and talking about the story right now, I feel just as nostalgic as if, uh, you know, I had that actual physical thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to applaud Katie for actually getting to the root of the issue. Yeah. You're asking us a question that you need to ask yourself. 
why? 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 Why are baby blankets and favorite toys so hard to let go of? Mm. That question presupposes that they are hard to let go of. They're not hard for me to let go of. Right. And I understand and appreciate they're hard for you to let go of. Mm -hmm. But why are they hard for you? Not why are they hard to let go of? Because they're not hard to let go of. Right. They're hard for you to let go of merely because of the clinging. Yeah. The clinging makes it difficult to let go. We're clinging to the past. We're clinging to the memories. We're clinging to the way we wish things were. Earlier, we were talking about the Don't Throw Out My Lego song by AJR. And when I was talking to Ella about that, that's a song really about clinging. Mm. I'm not ready to move on. Ooh, yeah. And if you're not ready to move on, you can pause for a moment and accept that. But if you know you want to move on, mm. then you're going to have to stop clinging. Now, here's here's the nice thing. You can actually keep a baby blanket and not cling to it. Mm-hmm. How, how do you how would you know whether or not you're clinging to it? Well, if it were to spontaneously combust right now, it's our spontaneous combustion rule. Mm. How would you feel? And if you'd feel panicked. Well, then you're still clinging. Right. Mm-hmm. If you would feel inconvenienced. I'm mean, thinking about um, I had a, a coffee, a mug break a couple weeks ago. Right. Mm. I was being clumsy, dropped it, it broke. It's usually what I do. It essentially spontaneously combusted, right? Yeah. But I didn't panic. I wasn't like, oh my God. But I was inconvenienced. Oh man, got to order another one. That's yeah. unfortunate. I need to be more careful. Mm-hmm. Okay, lesson learned. Let's move on. Yeah. But if it was that mug, but no, it's that mug. It's spe- No, it's a mug. Mm-hmm. It's a tool I use to drink this delicious bandit coffee. Mm-hmm. But I am not clinging to it. And so why are you compelled to cling to it? Mm -hmm. What trauma? What sense of control? How how does this make you feel valid or approved of? Or maybe you feel like, oh, there's safety here, right? We call them safety blankets for a reason, Mm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so when I think about holding on to something from the past, great if I'm getting something from it. But otherwise, it's just another, we talked about the bricks in the backpacks with Dr. John Deloney. It's another brick in my backpack. This, it sounds to me, Katie, like it's weighing you down. And yes, it's weighing you down in a way that it's not a big deal. It's one blanket. The blanket isn't the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. And that problem is not having the ability to let go of the past, Mm. continuing to cling to the past. And that will drag you somewhere where you don't want to go and it will prevent you from going where you do want to go. Let's wrap up with a question here from Nancy. I just finished doing a huge estate sale. I don't regret getting rid of the stuff. However, it did include around 50 years worth of items that triggered a lot of memories for me. My kids are relieved, but I feel more stressed than freed. How do you handle the aftershocks of purging? Ooh, the aftershocks of purging. Mm. Yes. Well, an observation I have is it sounds like Nancy's still clinging, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's not good or bad. It just is. Um, Well, Josh, what do we always say about clinging? Well, in terms of letting go, it's what you stop doing, right? right? And so 
if you want to let go, you merely stop the clinging. But mm-hmm. I would take a little bit farther with with Nancy here. Um, I would say sometimes freeing freedom is stressful. Ooh, that's the mm. truth, man. Oh, that is the truth. It makes me think about when I got laid off from my job and it was so freeing. I had, I was so, I was a wreck though. It was like going hundred miles an hour to a complete stop. Like now I get to do whatever I want. Well, what the hell do I want to do? Yes. And I, and the, and the talk we give, um, when we're on tour, you know, that's one of the points I make is like, you know, minimalism is the thing that gets us past the thing. So we can make room for life's most important things, which aren't things at all. But then there's that question of like, what are the important things? And that is sometimes nerve wracking to figure out what actually does matter. Yeah. It's easy to cling to things that other people think you should be clinging to. The uh, the section that we read earlier uh, from the, our live event in Minneapolis, where I finished the whole section about uh, what are we going to do with this newfound freedom? Mm-hmm. For some people, that's really empowering, especially when you approach the world from that abundance view. Uh, abundance is the default. Yes. My pleasure perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, everything's just a joy. To wake up is a joy. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that requires a near death experience. Sometimes it requires getting rid of a lot of things. But also that newfound freedom. You have to ask yourself, how much freedom do I want? Right. Because you think you want freedom, but you probably don't want absolute freedom. Right. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, I heard Jordan Peterson talk about this, actually. Mm. He said, do you want to play a, a game with me? I call it freedom. So, Ryan, I'll do this with you. Ryan, do you want to play the game freedom sure, with let's me? Let's play it. All right, go ahead. You go first. I am. I'm going right now. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> the problem with it, with this is we don't have when you have absolute freedom. Mm-hmm. There's no constraints. Right. There's no boundaries. The reason that chess works is there are rules. There are boundaries mm-hmm. that we've set up. We've established. We've we've agreed that there is, and then you have freedom within the chessboard. Mm. You can make any of those moves. But it's within the constraints that you have set up. Mm. Now, you could play checkers with a chessboard, right? You just change the rules, and that's great. So it's finding the boundaries that work best for you. Yeah. Because Ryan might enjoy chess, I might enjoy checkers, and that's fine. It's not that there is an absolute rule. There isn't a, a rule that undergirds all of society that we must do this in order to be happy, in order to be free. But to play the game of freedom where there's no boundaries... That's going to be really, really stressful, right? Mm. I even heard Mallory over there. She was like, this is stressing me out when, they, when we were being quiet for a moment. <laughs> because it's like, we, we do want some sort of constraint. I would actually argue that most people don't want any freedom, barely any freedom at all. Oh, right? I agree. Uh, we want to be dragged oh and, and told what to do. Do this yeah. at this time, at this pace, oh. at this speed. I'm reading a great book right now. I'm almost finished with it. It's called The Every. It's by Dave Eggers. It's a follow-up to... The Circle, which was an amazing book. And it really goes to show how most of us don't want freedom, just like most of us no. don't actually want peace. We don't want the things we think we value, right? right? Because if we want peace, but then we have four TVs in our home, do we really want peace? No, we want peace and we want freedom within the constraints that we feel fit to be in our lives. That's how we want freedom. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it is an oxymoron. And so what I would say Nancy, this is great. You feel stressed because you've been given freedom. What are you going to do with that newfound freedom now? Yeah. Because, yes, the stress right now 
it might have a little something to do with the clinging from mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. You're getting whiplash, consumerist whiplash, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's a small injury. You'll recover from that with time. Yeah. It'll just take some time for that. Yes. It might take a few months. It might take a couple of years, but you will recover from that eventually. The question is not about the past, though. The question is about your future and what you're going to do right now with that newfound freedom that's going to move you toward that freer, more energized, more alive future where you're not weighed down. You're not tethered by the material possessions Mm -hmm. because you can let go of the things and you still haven't let go of the things. Mm -hmm. You got rid of some material possessions, but if the psychological clinging is still there, you haven't completely let go. Mm. It's now time to let go internally. Now that you've dealt with the excess clutter around you, it's time to look inside and say, I'm going to declutter the mental clutter, the spiritual clutter, the emotional clutter that's going on inside me. Mm. That's what I'm going to do with this newfound freedom. Mm. Patrons, Oh, thank you so much for being here today. Heck yeah. Um, we are in our new studio. Enjoy that studio tour that's out there. If you're one of our true fans or VIPs, also the live events, we're going to keep releasing those one a month. I wanted to finish this um, this episode, Ryan, since we were talking about letting go season earlier in the episode. We finished mm-hmm. the minimal episode. So this is a companion. This is Whatever the Weather. This is their song six degrees celsius love people use things we'll see you soon thanks so much patrons